On the night of April 18th in 1876, Charles Bravo retired to his bedroom. Minutes later, he raced out of the door and cried for his wife to get him some hot water. When a maid rushed in to see what was wrong, she found him hanging out of the second-story window, vomiting all over the roof below him. Over the next three days, six doctors would attend to Charles. All agreed he had been poisoned. But over those three agonizing days of pain, Charles would never breathe a word about what might have happened to him or who might have poisoned him. This is the very strange and mysterious murder, question mark, of Charles Bravo. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. I'm Gary. I'm Dean. And I'm starting the time clock. Okay. Sounds like we're going back to an old-timey... An old-timey murder mystery crime. that's both a, both a murder mystery and also a strangeness that I kind of teased there at the beginning in terms of the reaction and the attitude of the murder victim. In this case, the murder victim lasted three days. Yeah. And he never said what he thought might have happened to him or never really uttered anything about any kind of suspicions or, or well, anything. I have questions, but You'll I have think to wait. I'll wait. <laughs> yes. We're actually going to do this in parts. The first part is going to give us a lot of background and help us understand what happened and the situation. Especially, it's actually, the background that's actually pretty important in this case. It helps us understand why the Charles Bravo and Florence Campbell, later Florence Bravo, were married in the first place and how that fits in. And, and it really kind of helps us figure out who might have done this to him or if he even might have done it himself. Okay. So first... Here in part one, let's go into some background on these Okey folks. Dokes. I think it's pretty interesting. So the story really starts and ends with Florence Bravo. Florence was born in 1845 as Florence Campbell. She was the seventh child of the pretty wealthy Campbell family. That's so funny how you say Campbell. Campbell? How do you say it? Campbell. Campbell? What did I say? Campbell. Really? It I'm is spelled. Both. There is a P. Yes. I, I, Camp Bell. Camp Bell. I'm call. I'm gonna say that for now. The Camp but Bell family. You've always said Campbell. Well, I just said Campbell, didn't I? I think I throw it either way. It depends on my mood. Well, you said it that way after I said it that way. Oh, okay. I was learning. Yeah. Let's go on. I don't know. Weird. I mean, it's Campbell soup, right? It's not Campbell soup. Now this is this is. <laughs> let's spend another eight minutes on this. So, her father Robert had made his fortune in Australia. And then took the family back to England. It's it's amazing how often that happened. I know it. I you hear about it a lot, and you only hear about the ones who did make a fortune in Australia right. and come back. The vast majority never did. But still, it is interesting how a lot of people made a lot of money, usually farming of some sort, yeah. in Australia, and who originally from England, of course. And very frequently, they did indeed move their family back to England, which is her father did exactly that. They wound up living in in Berkshire. And they also kept a house in London. That's how wealthy mm, they were. Yes. So Florence grew up to be pretty. She had curly auburn hair and a, quote, lush figure. Oh. Not a billion percent sure what that means. Big I've boobs. seen a picture of her. Yes. I mean, she was a reasonably attractive lady. But as we all know, the standards of attraction change almost generationally. Because how often have you seen this, sub, you know, in old-timey pictures, oh, my God, she was a striking beauty. And it's like, hmm. Not our, our vice versa. And, you know, yeah. you think not anymore. She wouldn't be or he wouldn't be. It's pretty odd. Don't you find that? Even like mm. early Hollywood stars, some of them is like, really? Sex symbol, huh? Okay. Whatever you say. I guess back then. Mm, you have not? No. I not have. not the old Remember. Hollywood. Yeah, I honestly. No. Honestly, some of them is like, really? You're going to have to give me an example. Okay, I can't think of one offhand. I know. Eventually, not now. Okay. We'll do a podcast on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where earlier Hollywood stars actually quite ugly on the next Weird World Podcast. Did you introduce us, by the way? This is the Weird World Podcast? Yes, I okay, did. Good. I, I, and we introduced ourselves and everything. It's before that long, laborious trip down the lane of how I pronounced the word Campbell. So I forgot it already. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't want to be complicit. Okay. That makes sense. Though she was a woman of the upper class, it was the Victorian era. And she was kind of surprisingly had a mind of her own. She was smart, but she's kind of stubborn. And it was not easy to be a stubborn female in the Victorian era in England and, and get your own way and have and get your own will. But she was able to do that. 
on a vacation to Canada in 1864, so I think she was 19 years old, she met this well-bred, young, handsome man named Algernon, sometimes is said Alexander Ricardo. I've read it both ways. I don't know which is wow. right. So either Algernon or Alexander Ricardo, we're going to just call him Ricardo. He was an English soldier. He's a captain of the Grenadier Guards. He was stationed currently in Canada. His family was pretty wealthy and pretty well connected. His father actually was a member of parliament or had been. And his mother was the sister of the Duke of Fife. Hmm. That sounds impressive. Anytime you throw the word Duke, it's sounds like cool. one of the lesser royals. I don't think they're royal. They're the just, Duke of Fife? Yeah. Dukes aren't royal in the sense that related to the family of the kings and queens. They're just, there's all kinds of dukes and really? earls and stuff like that. Yeah. In England? Yeah. They're not, not, not everybody who has that title isn't a royal family member. Oh, I wasn't. I mean, they, aren't, they, aren't, they don't have any power like they used to, but you know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I, I don't think that means they're royal. Still, he was a pretty good catch. Really good family. Very well to do. They hit it off right away. They went to, I don't know, they probably had some dances and stuff like that. Again, her family's vacationing, but they're very <laughs> well-bred, so that, that's naturally that's who they would hang out with. But I'm sure where they were. I want to say Toronto, but I don't know. But they got along great. So when Florence's family went back to England, Ricardo arranged for a three-month leave, and he wow. followed her right back to England to continue to woo her. So back in England, he wooed away. More dances, more teas, maybe some balls, that kind of stuff, I'm guessing. <laughs> okay. Right? Wouldn't that be the kind of things they did? I probably. Really super, super regimented dancing when they, that kind of, you know. I don't know if they did that in the they didn't do that? Victorian era. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know much about it. Definitely in the Regency era. Oh, okay. What's the difference? When was, there, was the Regency after the Victorian era? No, I believe it was before. It was before. Victorian it? era is basically the last two-thirds of the 19th century. Yeah, Re Regency much? was before. Regency was during before that. the Revolution. Oh, okay, gotcha. War gotcha. Carrie knows this all from Sense and Sensibility and Jane, no, from what? Bridgerton. Bridgerton, because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's historically accurate. I don't know when Sense and Sensibility takes place. I think it was a little bit later, I 1800s. Know. I know there's an 18 before it. That okay. all, That's all I know. Okie dokies. At the end of this three-month wooing back in England, they were engaged. It's pretty big, huh? It's pretty quick. And as was not uncommon, her father, quote, settled a thousand pounds on her for the marriage. It's almost like dowry kind of would yeah. you settle some cash on your daughter. Mm -hmm. It's about two hundred thousand dollars today. Yep. I would have guessed four point seven billion, as you know, but I looked that up. Well, and also as you know, marriages in that time were not primarily made for love. No, they were so not. So the fact that, that they kind of liked each other was just a bonus. We will have quite the, that'll be, that, that what you just said is going to play into our story okay. in a little while. The whole negotiation of marriage contract. Exactly. Still, yeah. settling 200K is like, here, here's $2,000 for marry my daughter. And that's not a bad idea. I'm still waiting for my check, by the way, from. Well, you didn't have much <sighs> offer either. Whatever. Florence, though, wanted a more glamorous life than being an army wife. And she also, she had no intention of kind of following him around from station to station. It's like, I am not going to go to some godforsaken place in India or Africa or something like that. Hard pass. Also, I don't want you killed in the war. This is not long after the Crimean War. And so it was a distinct possibility that he would go out to fight a war and he even could be killed. She just Again, she was this very headstrong, smart woman who said, nope. And so she just wore him down. And by like right after they were married, he quit the army. She got him to resign his position in the army and become a civilian. Hmm. I mean, he had a, he had a very well-connected family. There's no reason he couldn't have made a lot of money in business and things like that, right? But Florence would soon find out all about unintended consequences because Ricardo was just kind of adrift. The army was the only thing he knew. He craved yeah. the discipline of the army. His life, since he was a very young adult, had been in the army. He's not very old now. They're in their, I want to say mid-20s, something like that. So he, he went into business first like with 
It's something to do with his dad did. That failed. Something to do with her dad, kind of getting help as much as he can. But it failed. He just didn't yeah. have a head for business. He wasn't very good at it. And so he was just struggling to make his own way. I mean, he had plenty of family money, but yeah. still he was struggling. He, he, he missed the army very much. And what do you do if you are a child of privilege and you have a lot of money in your pocket, but you don't have anything, anything really to do? You hang out and gamble. You gamble <laughs> and you also drink and yeah. sometimes you even carouse. Mm-hmm. That was the nature when, when you're when you're a man. Okay, yeah. 94% of the time you did all three of those things. Ricardo did indeed, especially the drinking part. Yeah. He became pretty much a, an alcoholic within about a year of their marriage and he was kind of a mean drunk. That was really, he was actually he seems like a very nice guy unless he got liquored up and it wasn't until after she made him quit the army and he started yeah. failing at these businesses that he started become drinking a lot more. He resented Florence because she had made him quit the army and so he kind of took it out on her and Florence started just trying to avoid him actually pretty early on in the marriage. She would flee to her parents' house and spend time with her family. She would take trips with friends you know, to the coast or the continent or something like that. Six years of being married to him. He's drunk a lot. I think she knew about his carousing. She tolerated it. But after all that drinking and, you know, going out in the town one night, he came home. They got into a big argument. Again, he's drunk. And he struck her in the face Uh three times. That was it for Florence. I think this is around 1870. So, so, you know, now, so now she's in her mid twenties. They were younger when they got married. Sorry about that. And, but in 1870, even very well to do young women, especially when they're married, didn't have a whole lot of recourses. They had few choices when something bad happened in their marriage. So she fled to her parents and told them what happened. So thinking, I presume, I don't know if she really did, because she must have known her parents, especially her father. Father was super conservative, very straight laced very tradition bound. So when she came in and said, oh, he hit me, hit me. I hate him. I hate him. I want to leave him. They said, absolutely not. You got married. Yeah. You made your bed. You lie in it. Basically, they said, you know, the whole honor and obey thing, you can spend the night, but tomorrow morning you're going back home and you'll figure it out. You're going to have to work it out with Ricardo. That's terrible. It's horrific. But her father would just absolutely not hear of anything like even a separation. You you could have a legal separation at this point. Yeah, they could have done that. They didn't have to get divorced. Divorce would have been much more difficult. But they could have separated. She could have lived again. She was a very wealthy family. He was too. They'd be fine. They'd just be separated. I'm sure couples lived separately all the time. Yes, too. but she wanted a legal separation. She wanted nothing to do with him for the rest of her life. Yeah. So in the morning, though, she did not go back to Ricardo. Fortunately, I guess during the night or maybe the next day, her mother kind of stepped in. She was very, very close with her mother. And her mother kind of brokered a deal with her husband, Florence's father. And they said, basically, you know what? Let's send Florence on a kind of extended trip. And maybe things will die down. Things will cool down. She'll go back to him. Everything will be fine. But let's let's get them apart for a little while anyway. And you know what's cool right now for wealthy people? Hydro spas, hydrotherapy, water therapy. Oh, okay. It's where you went and did lots of water things and pretended they cured you of things that they didn't. It didn't. It was kind of a quack thing at the time, and it probably still is. I yeah. don't know. It probably is still around on some some quarters, but it was it was a big thing. It was all the rage for the glitterati, the the English jet set of the time. We're going to these hydro baths and these hydrotherapy clinics in the countryside. Usually, hmm. it's like a it's like a health and wellness grift (laughs) but it's kind of like a health and wellness vacation you went there and you're pampered yeah and it was you know you got you you chatted and gossip with all your other folks like you your peers so the family sent florence to the sanatorium run by a dr james gully it was in great malvern in worcestershire in central england probably didn't pronounce any of those even central england (laughs) correctly Malvern is, I mean, it's M-A-L-V-E-R-N, but it's sure. probably pronounced Malvern or something like that. I don't no. know. Okay, this is not Ireland. We're, no. We're Sarazi is pronounced Shorsha or something like that. Sirsha. <laughs> Sirsha. Gully was kind of an old family acquaintance. 
he had actually even treated Florence when she was a girl and had a throat infection. He was 63-year-old. He was kindly. He was married. What could go wrong? You're probably guessing. (laughs) Gully was actually from Jamaica. He's English. He was white. Don't worry. Of course, at least he was white. But he had uh, been raised in Jamaica, a child of a very prosperous English coffee planter. Hmm. He was in England as a young man attending college when the United Kingdom abolished slavery in the colonies and left his family in kind of a bad way. They were um, compensated for their, quote, property, their slaves to some extent, but it ruined the business basically. So suddenly he realized he was going to have to earn a living. He wasn't just going to inherit tons of money from his father, his family. He was going to have to earn a living somehow. So he became a doctor. And eventually he was able to open two hydrotherapy clinics with a partner and they quickly became kind of the the place to see and be seen by this wealthy people. They were two of the more popular hydro clinics in England at the time. Mm-hmm. One, and, and the one in Great Malvern was where Florence went to. So Florence loved it. She got along great with the very avuncular Dr. Gully at his clinic in Malvern. And better yet, he was kind of ahead of his time. He thought her husband was a brute. He was disgusted that he that her husband had struck her, that he didn't appreciate her, and she took her side completely. He thought absolutely she could get a separation. She'd even get divorced. You know, she should she should have legal rights. And he even offered to become her legal guardian because it could help her kind of, I guess, get through, cut through some of the legal niceties to gain this separation. Because I think because she wasn't going to get the permission of her parents, I think I'm not positive on that last part. But if he, him becoming her legal guardian could help her get the separation, so he offered to do that for her. Hmm. Very nice of him. Unless he's scamming her somehow. No, he's actually oh. not scamming her. Okay. She, he, he also offered to let her stay for free at the Hydro a little bit longer than her family had you know, paid for. Yeah. And he said that she could stay there at least until she started getting alimony from Ricardo because she he was having solicitors start to drop. Okay, she's gonna be, we're gonna get her legally separated, and we're gonna start having Ricardo pay her some kind of alimony because her parents would not support her at this point, right? For because of if she was gonna get a separation from Ricardo, yeah. Meanwhile, Ricardo, for on his part, was completely just uh, he he didn't really mean it. He didn't mean to go that far. He was drunk. So he started sending her all kinds of letters begging her to come back to him. He'd never do it again. He would change his ways. He could mm-hmm. be better, blah, blah, blah. At least that's what I'm assuming they were said because she did not open a single one of them. She would turn them unopened. The same with the telegrams. He so sent you have her no telegrams. idea. You could have said, bitch, get back here. No, no, no. It was from what I, well, anyway, from what I read, it, it was, it was, <laughs> he was sending her Please come back to me. I'm you want sorry, something letters. to cry about? I'll give you something to cry wow, about. Wow, you don't like him, do you? Just because he smacked her around. Yeah. That's no, he's he sounds like a piece of shit. He sounds like he was obviously. He sounds like though he was. You know, he was really going through a rough time. So. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Goalie helping still. He when she had to leave the hydrotherapy clinic of his, he was he rented a small house for her to live in nearby. So she didn't have to go back home. She, again, she was not able to go back to her parents. They wouldn't have her. This whole separation was bullshit. They'd given her time to you know, yeah. cool off, go back to your husband, and she was not going back to her husband. So she stayed at this house that Goldie rented for her and hung out near him in Malvern. And I guess she almost became like almost an assistant to him. You know, just kind yeah. of helping out at the clinic. And so when he had to go to Bavaria on business – he naturally invited Florence to go along with him. Naturally. Again, kind of kind of like an assistant kind of thing, help him out when he's traveling on business. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's 63, he was married. This is perfectly innocent. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad can happen. Turns out the goalie was married to a woman who was much older than him. Again, he's 63. I think she was like 80. Yeah. And remember, an 80 in the 18th century is like 147 now. <laughs> it's like two crypt keepers plus. Nick Nolte. So it's very, very, very. Plus, <laughs> Helen Hayes. Nick Nolte ever I don't know. I'm yet. trying to think. I was trying to think of someone old, and, and, and <laughs> that's the first thing that came out. I apologize. Rudy um, Giuliani. That's who you There we go. Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> like, oh, that's three crypt keepers because <laughs> he is essentially a crypt keeper. So his wife was very infirm, too. I think even maybe senile. 
Yeah. And they had effectively been separated for 30 years. Holy moly. So, which had to predate her senility, I'm assuming. She's been senile since she was 50. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how that works, but they had been separated for a very long time. They really were married in name only. Yeah. And so, in Bavaria, he's got this young, attractive assistant. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure, she's married, but she's not really married because she's going to leave that guy eventually. One thing leads to another, and soon Gully and I think the 25, 26-year-old Florence were doing it. They were have they began a sexual relationship. Uh oh. Still living in Malvern. So back she's back in England now. It's April of 1871. Florence got the best news she could possibly get. What do you suppose that was? Ricardo died. Ricardo died. <laughs> he had essentially he really Thank did drink God himself. She didn't get that divorce. <laughs> I know. This is way better. And actually, this was way better. Yeah. She, he had drunk himself to death while visiting on the continent. I think he was in um, Cologne. He was in Cologne wow. at a hotel, and they found him dead. He he drank himself to death. I guess in five or six years. Yeah, that's because they'd only been married about six years. And he, I it seemed, I'm sure he drank before, of course, but he started drinking heavily about a year or so, yeah. or pretty quickly into their marriage. So it didn't take long for him to destroy his liver, and he died. And even better, he never changed his will. Yeah, that's key because Florence got. Everything. He was too drunk to change his well. I guess he was. She was suddenly a widow worth 40,000 pounds. Nice. What do you think that is? Um, $17 million. You're not far off, about $7.5 million oh. in today's money. So a nice, tidy sum. I always question those. You know, you never really know. Is it really, I, you know, I feel like it was actually quite a bit more. In terms of true buying power, there's different calculators, things like that. I don't know yeah. any of them are to trust. The sense is, though, she was a very wealthy widow. Yeah. So she had plenty of money. She had money to burn. The fortune itself would yield, in I guess, interest about three thousand pounds a year in, in spending money. That's about five hundred fifty thousand dollars. So think of, of wow. her having an, yeah. a, a passive income of over half a million dollars annually. Yeah, not bad. So she was very, very wealthy. She was free, she was rich, so Florence wasted no time, and she moved to London. She was a social animal. Yeah. She liked to hang out with people and have a lot and have fun and enjoy the company of others. She could finally go to a place where there's all that kind of activity, and she could be really socially active without the threat of her parents, you know, yeah. being unhappy with her, or this brutal husband who beat her. I'd never speak to my parents again. Yeah. She was very close with her mother and her sister as well. Mm-hmm. So she still she still did. And now, I mean, I don't, I don't, I suppose, I mean, they didn't ostracize her. They, but they were unhappy with her. But when, and remember, they didn't know anything about the affair. Mm-hmm. So she just kind of, as far as they knew, she just sort of stayed on a little longer at the hydrotherapy and the guy died. And so at right. this point, they have nothing against her on that. But... She was off to London. She bought a house called the Priory, which is a very prominent house. It's a huge house in in what's the Balham area. It's near, it's kind of South London now. It's completely, it was kind of on the edge of the city and sort of a countryish kind of a feel at the time. Is now part of urban London, South London, south of, of the river. And it's still a, a prominent building. It still exists to this day. She bought that house and she convinced Gully to move. In fact, so he bought wow. a little house in the area about a five-minute walk away from the How prairie. Again, he's still married. Yeah. But effectively, it was kind of unknown to anyone else. They had essentially said, okay, we're going to get married as soon as your wife dies, and that can't be that long. Yeah. So she was going to marry this 63-plus-year-old dude Jeez. as soon as his 80-ish-year-old wife died, but they were happy together. So th- this was everything was going to plan. Everything looked good. There was one more person now that we need to talk about and actually made Florence very happy as well. And that was Jane Cox. Jane Cox, we'll know her also as Mrs. Cox in, in our story. Okay. She was English, but like Golly, she also had lived in Jamaica. Hmm. Her husband worked for a company there, had a good paying job in Jamaica, probably some kind of export import company or something like that. And so she was not, not rich, but she was comfortable living in Jamaica. Had three boys with the husband, but unfortunately for her in this case, the husband died. Mm-hmm. And that left her in kind of a tenuous position. They didn't have much savings. She had no means to support in Jamaica anymore. So she had to come back to England. 
back to where she was from. I don't know. She never moved in or anything with her family. So I don't know what the situation was with her family. She was a little older by now. I mean, she was three kids. I'm actually not sure how old she was. I'll have to find out. But she uh, came back to England and was able to borrow some money from her husband's employer, who seems very kind to her. Mm. And with that money, she bought a small house in Notting Hill in, okay. in London as well. And she lived there with her three kids in like just a couple of the rooms, I think. And then she basically let oh. the rest of the rooms out to paying tenants yeah. to earn an income. Yeah. So, but it was it was not great. It wasn't a ton of income. She had three boys. You know, things weren't perfect. But then, luckily for Mrs. Cox, Florence came along. They met. I don't know how they met, but Florence was in the market. Now that she's in London, living high in the hog, she needed a what? What do what do all these wealthy women need? Companion. They need a companion. Needed a ladies' companion. So she somehow met Jane, and they got along immediately, really, really well. They hit it off immediately. Jane was absolutely perfect. She was more mature. She was educated and and well spoken, but also she was just kind of very sensible, very level headed can really kind of take charge and take care of things. She, was, she has three kids. How does she have time to spend with? She's going to send those kids life. to school. Oh. And I don't know where they're spending the night, but I think she sends them off to boarding school, boarding school effectively, wow. because she is going to now live as the, the live-in ladies companion of Florence in the Priory. Wow. So she sends her kids off to boarding school, but, but she's able to afford that now. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> she Because Jane was very generous and gave her a really nice salary. So now she's making pretty good money. She's got room and board. Florence was. Florence, I'm sorry. Florence yeah. gave her a very nice salary. So now Jane Cox has making good money. She's got room and board. She, still, she can rent the whole Notting Hill house right. out, basically. And so she's making decent money from that. She can send her kids to a private boarding school. The you know she's I guess that her might her work out well. her life just took a turn for the better by meeting Florence and she really did like Florence a lot. It was kind of symbiotic. Mrs. Cox could kind of sort of replace the mother that was now in a strained relationship. Florence mm-hmm. was in kind of a little bit of a strained relationship with her real mom, and in turn, Florence, being the mother of three sons, kind of almost had like an older daughter now. Almost and and really kind of mothered her and nurtured her and treated her like like almost like a daughter. Mm-hmm. Florence called Jane Janie, and Jane called Florence Flory. So they became very good friends again, almost almost mother daughter like. And Mrs. Jane Cox became very well ensconced in the priory and mm-hmm. part of Florence's household, the, the most important part of Florence's household. But if you're Boy Toy is 63 plus years old, and this is in, in a pre-Viagra era. You got to keep it spicy. Okay. So when Florence and Gully were staying the weekend at the home of Gully's solicitor, when that man, the solicitor, and his wife went for presumably a long walk in the morning, Gully and Florence stayed behind, and one thing leads to another, and sadly, it wasn't a long walk. It's about a 20-minute walk. So all of a sudden, the uh, solicitor and his wife walk into their house. They go into the sitting room, and they're on the couch in the sitting room. Uh-oh. Dr. Goley and Florence are in mid-hump. They are <laughs> going at it in flagrant, flagrante delicto. They are caught red-handed or some other appendage. Uh-huh. It was not good. The the, fam, the the solicitor was angry, first of all, that his friend was having an affair with a 26-year-old, but also that they're doing it on the couch. It's like, dude, you, you spent the night, you have a bed, go upstairs. <laughs> but now they had, I guess it's like, it was the danger of it. So they're yeah. having sex on the couch. Well, no, they're for a walk. Let's do it right now. Let's go. And so they did, but it redounded very poorly on them. And the gossip did spread a little bit. It kind of, it made the rounds from servants class. It didn't get out widely. I don't think her family, it's hard to tell. I don't think her family found out about it at this point, but other folks did, and it was kind of a little scandal. Yeah. And I don't I don't think they break with her family. There's going to be a break with her family in the not-too-distant future. Apparently, even her family found out, because I think they more or less cold-shouldered her there. They sort of stopped speaking to her. They're very angry that she's yeah. having this. Again, he's a married man. 
He's much older than her. They were pretty disgusted with it. So now it was Florence's turn to experience the whole unopened letter thing because she sent, she wrote to her mom and her sister and even, even her sister returned the letters unopened. They'd have nothing to do with it. I think only her brother still spoke to her, but he was older and he, and they weren't as close as she was to her mom and her sister. So it was very crushing for her. People are just dicks. Yeah, they are. They are. But Florence did find out that things could get even worse when she and Goldie went on vacation to Austria. So they're still together. Very mm-hmm. embarrassing. A little bit of a scandal. Her family is not speaking to her. But she's still with Goldie. She's still, I think she was in love with Goldie. He was definitely for sure I, in I love with her. clearly she was. They're in Austria on vacation. And Goldie gets her pregnant. I was wondering when that yes. was going to happen. They didn't have great. They did use birth control as best you had it back then but it wasn't very good so finally yeah and she was very fertile as we'll find out later and so she got pregnant easily and she got pregnant while in austria and this this scandal would ruin them both yeah if this got out this is 1870s england this married old man is going to have what a baby out of red wedlock with a young, yeah, uh, w- recently widowed woman, and and they'd find out that they had actually started their affair before she was even widowed, uh, no doubt. So they had very little choice. Doctor Goley is a doctor oh, of a no. sort. He's a hydrotherapist. I can think of a better. Solution. He was actually a homeopathic doctor too, but Florence agreed to let Goley give her an abortion. You just go off to another country, have the baby, and then pretend you adopted it. You've read too many novels. Because you're a widow. I suppose. They probably could have done that. They probably had the money to do that, to, of to be off for a very long time. Yeah, but they didn't. They decided to to have an abortion, and that would eventually come back to haunt her, to haunt Florence. Because the surgery did not go well, and Florence actually almost died. Yeah. I think he did it himself. And again, he's a homeopathic doctor yeah. of hydrotherapy, so he really wasn't qualified to do this, I, I'm assuming. You can tell I'm not a big fan of homeopathy. It's, yeah. it's quackery. She was left with serious health complications, and so Jane Cox tirelessly nursed her back to health over the next several weeks back at the Priory. She's bedridden for a very long time and having significant gynecological problems at this point. Yeah. One consequence, though, was that Florence had had enough of that. She never wanted this to happen again. So she told Dr. Golly, hey, we're still friends. You know, I'm still, I still feel very affectionate toward you, but we're never having sex again. We are no longer lovers. That's oh. it. I'm not going to risk this ever again. So he was really bummed, but he was still very <laughs> much in love with her. So he acquiesced. I mean, you know, that is a bummer. Carrie. You're like 63, having sex with a 26-year-old? This is not something you want to give up. Florence faced a world, though, at this point of just cold shoulders. She was kind of a pariah within her family. She's also now pretty much excluded from London society. And Mrs. Cox saw right away that this had a really, really bad effect on her. She was she tried to keep kind of a brave face, but she was devastated, and Jane Cox could could tell. She really, Florence really loved the swirl of kind of upper crust London, and so she missed it terribly. That's the whole reason she came to London. She mm-hmm. was still young and vivacious and smart and loved to have a good time, so this was really, really bad for her. So Mrs. Cox wondered, hey, what if she got remarried do you think this would change do you think that would give her a chance to rebuild her reputation and and get back at those invitations particularly if she married a nice young man from a really good family a really well-to-do and and good family with a good reputation wouldn't that rescue florence from her ostracism so mrs cox thought it would Mm -hmm. so with respectability being incredibly important and all that came with it for florence Mrs. Cox decided to become a matchmaker. So she started hunting around. I'm going to find me a nice, respectable young man for my mistress. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get them married. I'm going to get her back in the game, get her back to the social respectability I think she deserves. Okay. So she's on the lookout for the suitable partner. And it's just by hap- happenstance that she found one. Mrs. Cox had stayed in touch with her husband's former employer. Remember the person who lent her the money to buy that house. So right. they're still in touch. They were still friends. And 
that man who owned the business in Jamaica where her husband had worked, mm -hmm. his business partner in that Jamaican enterprise was a man named Joseph Bravo. That man, Joseph Bravo, had a young son that was not married, was from this very respectable family, mm -hmm. and he, you know, had some reasons. We'll, we'll talk about those in a minute of some reasons he would like to get married, especially to a rich, young widow. That okay. man's name was Charles Bravo. Okay. The more Mrs. Cox learned about Charles Bravo, the better she liked this idea of hers. She found him smooth, smart. <laughs> you know, he's kind of like urbane, you know? He's uh -huh. kind of like well-spoken, well-educated. He seemed smart. He seemed to know a lot about a lot, not about politics and literature. And he had that sort of witty cynicism that was all the rage at the time among the young, wealthy set. Okay. And she liked that, so she thought... Okay, he's also reasonably decent looking. I've seen pictures. He's not hideous, but he's, you know, he has mutton chops and he wow. has kind of a little bit of a weak chin. He also has the, the eyes of a, of a raven. <laughs> they, look, they look dead, look like a white shark's eyes. But he was about the same age as Florence. I mean, it's all, this is all perfect. This is all coming together. Yeah. Best of all, he was from this eminently respectable family. He was respectable. Charles Bravo was born Charles Turner, but when his father had died, his mother remarried a, the man named Joseph Bravo, the, the partner of, of the, the guy in Jamaica, and Charles took his stepfather's surname, so he became Charles Bravo. Charles had studied at King's College in London and also at Oxford, and he was now a barrister. He had been called, quote-unquote, to the bar in 1868. No idea why they phrase it like that. It's like, oh. You don't, it's like, it's, like, it's like you don't want to be a lawyer, but you're sort of forced to be yeah. a lawyer. It makes no sense. And he had started a law practice with a friend of his from law school, I imagine, named Edward Hope. Though the practice was still small. This is 1871 now. The practice was still small and struggling. Charles was very ambitious. His prospects seemed very good. He belonged to all the right clubs like Boodles and White's. <laughs> the first is just a phenomenal name. The second is a little on the nose, uh -huh. but still. And most importantly, his family was very wealthy and highly socially respectable, as we said. So it turned out, though, that Charles was in kind of somewhat straightened circumstances. And that was actually perfect for, for Mrs. Cox to get him to marry in what circumstances? Florence. Straightened circumstances. He had very rich taste. He grew up in a rich family. But he only made about 200 pounds a year. With his law practice, yeah, it's like less less than forty thousand dollars a year. Oh, okay. So, given his you know, his taste, not nearly enough. His father did give him him an allowance, but was kind of stingy. Was kind of like, hey, you need to do this on your own, kind of a thing. So he right. gave him a little bit of allowance to, to supplement his pretty meager income, or what Charles thought was a meager income, and. This annoyed the hell out of Charles. He really wanted to have his own money and be able to live in a wealthy way without having to rely on his father and didn't look like his legal practice was going to do that anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So it's perfect, right? So Mrs. Cox actually kind of, you know, liked that in terms of getting right. them two together. So the marriage to the wealthy Flor widow, Florence Ricardo, would be a complete win-win. It gets him a, a lot of money yeah. and to be able to live like he wants to live without his father's handouts. And, of course, Florence gets to marry this respectable guy, return to the social set of London. Everyone's going to live happily ever after for a very, very short time. So Mrs. Cox arranged a meeting. I'm going to assume also a ball or tea of some sort. There's going to be gowns involved, a nice suit, perhaps horses, livery. Not a billion percent sure what livery is, but I bet that was involved as well. Horses and carriages. Is that what that is? Okay, mm -hmm. then I bet there was for sure livery. This has got to be livery in 1871 for these people. The two actually did hit it off. They did get along. They, they liked each other. That might have been motivated. Both of them were motivated right. to like each other, but still, they seemed to, to get along well. And so pretty soon, pretty very quickly actually, rumors of potential marriage started buzzing around, and Mrs. Cox could not be happier. She thought she had, she had solved it. First, though... There were some snags that had to be raked away. The biggest one was, of course, Dr. Gully. Yeah. They weren't having sex anymore, but Florence and Gully were very, very good friends, and they had been an item. 
And she didn't know. She probably didn't know whether or not Charles and Charles's family knew about it. That scandal had right. gotten out, but it, it wasn't like it was common knowledge by any stretch at all. Most people didn't know about it. And she, but she wanted to be. She just wanted a clean slate. She wanted to break off everything and start over. So she actually, it would turn out kind of stupidly. She confessed everything to Charles. Mm-hmm. Said, you know, here's I don't what think I did. That's stupid. Well. It's going to be. Okay. <laughs> to her pleasant surprise, he was totally fine with it. Yeah, her money yes, made up for For sure. For sure, that's true. But he's like, you know, now they're in this whole confessing mode. I, too, had my dalliances. And what, in fact, one of those with a former lover produced a child. That child's living right now, and I help support that child. Oh. So, hey, you break everything everything off with Golly and never speak to him again. I'll do the same with mine, we'll never speak about these two things again and pretend they didn't happen. Shake on it. And they did. Golly did not take this super well, as yeah. you might imagine. He was pretty crushed because he still considered Florence a close friend and also a confidant. But what's more, remember, he had moved to London and bought a house five minutes away from her home to be with her. Yeah. And the scandal did get out to some quarters, so his reputation and his business had taken a bit of a hit. Sure. At this point. And all so he felt the choices he made on he, you know. Yeah. That's all on him. That's that's true, but he was not happy about this. But Florence was just really laser focused. And so she said, Yeah, I know you're you're bummed and we gotta break it off and we can't ever talk to each other. But also you need to move. It's like, about that house five minutes away, that's not going to work. Yeah. My new husband will know about that. He already does. He's not going to like that. Get out. Get out of London. I guess, or at least get out of South London. Yeah. That was going a little too far. And Gully thought that was a lot of gall. And he said, nope, screw you. In fact, I am breaking up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am never going to speak to you again. Get out of my house. Well, okay, perfect. Still, but he still now lived five minutes away. Yeah. And so that was that. That was at least she. So, but she took care as far as she could. It didn't go well, but she yeah. took care of the golly gambit. Yeah, just, just walk the other way when you go out of your house. Don't you've got to walk by his house. <laughs> he's going to walk to our house, put a bit of ghetto blaster, put uh-huh. some, some Peter Gabriel no, in your eyes, too, and right? woo her back. Pardon? No, you said then he broke up with her. Yes, so. he did. He's not going to speak to her. You know what? She's not going to speak to him. Yeah. So that that actually works out. Now all that was left for Florence was to marry Charles, have lots of kids, live a worry-free, affluent life, go to parties and teas and vacations on the continent, maybe the south of France. I don't know if that was Mm -hmm. a thing yet. Charles, no doubt, thought the same. You know, I'm going to live that affluent life and that part really appealed to him. The whole the other stuff was was fine, but the the affluence is what it really appealed to him. Yeah. And as a man, though, in Victorian England, he expected to essentially be gifted everything that Florence owned. He expected yep. the money, the house, her body, everything else was going to be his property. But let's not forget, Florence was not like that. Yep. She was headstrong. She had a mind of her own. And more importantly, England had only recently, I believe, I mean, very recently, had changed the law and pass the Married Woman's Property Act. This allowed a woman who had some money to bring it into another marriage to keep Good. whatever she wanted yeah. that was under her possession in her own name for the second marriage. The man didn't, before that, the man literally, you got married? It was all it was, his. It was all yeah. his, everything. Yeah. So she said, I am going to take advantage of that. Everything staying in my name. Mm-hmm. Charles was... Not surprisingly, furious. Yeah, well. Very angry at this. He was a traditionalist, which probably any man at the time would yes, be in this, on this account anyway. He said, quote, I cannot contemplate a marriage which doesn't make me master in my own house, unquote. He couldn't live a life, you know, where even the expensive furniture all around him wasn't his to put his feet up on the ottoman that was someone else's ottoman. Right. Namely his wife's ottoman. It was outrageous. He wouldn't hear of it. Oh, and also she found out he was 500 pounds in debt. Uh-oh. It's like $90,000 in today's money. She didn't know about that. Yeah. He, of course, did, obviously. He, he really needed Florence money not only to live well, but to pay off these debtors and to uh, probably also to prop up his not-so-flourishing legal right. practice, too, as yeah. well. 
So Florence insisting on keeping a, uh, the money in her name and keeping her money in her possession was a huge blow to him. This, that was not what he kind of was going to sign up for. This was a time and a social niche where marriages were, as we talked about a second ago, they were contracts, effectively. They literally was negotiating with lawyers yeah. to settle on a contract for the marriage. So Florence... Unless you were poor. If you are yes, poor, that's you true. just got married. I, but you didn't have anything to worry about. Exactly. In this case, at this station, you did. So Florence mm-hmm. hired a barrister, as you did. And typically, you, you'd have... You'd both, the man and the woman, both hire a lawyer to take care of that stuff, and they wouldn't talk about it. You know, let the lawyers be the bad guys. In this case, though, Charles acted as his own barrister, which was considered kind of not cool by the social set. But my guess is he was probably trying to save the money of of hiring a lawyer, and he was a lawyer, but that was considered kind of bad form. And it's now, he's now directly haggling with Florence's lawyer to get more of her stuff. So it was not great. Doesn't he have any lawyer friends that would do it for him? Yeah, you would think. So ignoring the previous promise, Florence actually went to Golly for advice. Because still, he was, he's actually, I I know, he was actually a very kind man and a very well-meaning person. He really thought a lot about her and he tried to help her. So in this case, he's, he, he did help her. And he said, you know what? Here's what you can do. How about you keep all the money? Maybe though, since his big thing is I'm master my house, you know what? Let him have the house. Yeah. Let him have the priority. Sign it over to him. You keep all the money and all the income from that money. Yeah. And maybe that'll work out. Maybe he'll agree to that uh, compromise. Florence didn't love the idea because she loved the house. Yeah. But- she agreed for the sake of the marriage. Again, she's very motivated. She needs this. You, you, you stop and think, why was there no other respectable man? Could she not break it off with him, wait a while, and, yeah. go, and go another? She, she must have felt that no one else is going to marry her with a, res, a respectable person is ever going to marry her. Is Charles on nothing. So she went along with this scheme, and eventually so did, did Charles. She would also settle some money on him. Yeah. She'd actually give him, she'd cut him a check as well. I was well. going to say, give him an income. She, gave, she didn't give him an income, she gave him a mon- yeah. uh, some money. I don't know how much, yeah. but she gave him some money, and she gave him title to the house. Which is, this is a big house. It's a, it's a beautiful mansion. So the warning signs, obviously, are everywhere. There are tons of red flags here. She, yeah. she did see them, I think. I think she knew about them. She was just, again, she felt backed in a corner. She could have moved to America. She probably should have, you're and right. been the toast of. Oh, she probably would have New York yeah. or Boston or. But she loved the London. San Francisco. Je- there was no, there was no social set like the London social set, especially as someone who grew up in England. Yeah. New York wasn't going to cut it. Even even New York wouldn't cut it. Maybe Paris. I don't know. Yeah, she could have gone to Paris. She should have gone to Paris. When so so they made this deal as negotiations were winding down and starting to be finalized, and so Charles uh, arrived one day at Florence's solicitors again, toward the end of the negotiations over the marriage contract. And that solicitor offered Charles his congratulations on the engagement. It was kind of official now. It's like, hey, this is, this is going to be done. Congratulations on your engagement to get married to Florence. Charles looked at him and spat out, damn your congratulations. I've come about the money. End quote. I mean, probably to to get his check. Yeah. That solicitor was so disgusted, by the way, with him that he said, I'm done. There's still some negotiations to go. He had a junior partner take up because he wanted nothing to do with Charles. He thought Charles was a piece of shit and he was not wrong. So Charles even tried to get like all the furnishings under his name because she wanted to keep those. And he even included things like her personal property and her jewelry. Oh, no. He tried to to get title of. Anyway, it was so, it was not. It's a terrible negotiation. He's asking for yeah. terrible things. He's 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 just I, you know. Some people say, oh, uh, for the time he should have gotten everything. That law was was fairly new, but those people would but it be was a law, scumbags. So, yeah. yeah. So Florence again, she was almost certainly aware of these red flags. She had to understand that Charles was in it for the money, but she was so desperate for that respectability and that she went along with it. She even knew, she even saw, by this point, she can see how quick to anger he was because he kind of flew up the handle a couple of times now. He was kind of showing his true colors at this point. And so she was worried yeah. that they weren't going to have the right temp- temperament and weren't going to get along. She thought, at least, you know, we can get along. But right. now she's even worried about that. Yeah. So. I but, call it off, Florence. There was so much at stake, though. The engagement had, by the way, it had brought the reconciliation with her family that she so longed for. So she had already, was already seen some of the fruits of this new respectability, this attachment to respectability. Yeah, that would make me hate my parents even more. <laughs> Probably. She felt sure that there would be a similar reconciliation with the social set soon after. So, oh, and also there's a kind of a negative part too. Remember she had confessed to uh, Charles that 
she yes. had become pregnant and had an abortion. She's confessed everything. Oh, to him. I didn't know she confessed that part oh, of it. Oh, sorry. Yes, she did. I thought it was just the affair. No, oh. she confessed it all. Darn it. So, so she confessed even things that a lot, no one knew about. Yeah. And now at this point, she was worried that he could blackmail her yeah. or just if she broke it off, he'd just blab about it. He'd just tell everyone just to drag her. And so she's now um, fearful of not just, not just so there's a kind of a push and pull. There's, there's, there's desire for social respectability and getting back into the fun set and also this worry that he might rat her out Yikes. and ruin her reputation forever. Her other option is become a Miss Havisham. You could become a Miss Havisham. Yeah. I don't know what that reference is towards. <laughs> is that going to be someone who didn't get married forever and lived Charles a... Charles like Dickens, a, Great Expectations, Dean. Oh, uh, Miss Havisham. I've heard the name. Haven't read Great Expectations. I'm not going to okay. lie. I'll, t- I'll tell you offline. Okay, tell me offline. Some people also theorized that they were having premarital sex. Which they probably were. They, they both had had sex plenty of times. Neither one was a virgin. Yeah. And Charles maybe had gotten Florence pregnant. So she also felt a little trapped. I don't think the timing fits for that. And I don't think that's true. Whatever. She went along with the marriage. And even despite the fact that she had some pretty grave doubts by this time, and rightfully so. But didn't matter. In the winter of 1875, she's about 30 years old now, Florence Ricardo, nay Campbell, became Mrs. Charles Bravo. Hmm. No doubt, the brief honeymoon in Brighton on England's West Coast went fine. It appeared that the initial part of the marriage seemed to be just fine. The newlyweds returned to the Priory and London Life, an apparently happy couple. Thankfully, Florence did soon find that social doors did open. At least they creaked a jar pretty quickly, too. Remember, they got married in the fall she threw a Christmas party mm-hmm. of that same year, 1875. See what's what? See who's going to come. Over 30 guests came to her nice. party, including the mayor of Streetham. Hmm. Pretty big deal. Okay. I'm assuming. I have no idea. Streetham, I think, was the town next to Ballham. Ballham? Uh, I'm getting, I'm probably pronouncing both those words wrong. Okay. But it so was. She's not, they're not in London? They are in London. They're, they're in London. Now, now this is complete urban London. At this point, it's sort of an immediate outskirt, I think, suburb of London. Okay. And it's London. It's effectively okay. London, but it's, I think there are still some towns there. And I don't think it's part of metropolitan London yet, the okay. incorporated city of London yet. I shouldn't say city of London. That's a one square mile in the middle, but oh, the okay. metro London. Gotcha. Okay. So, and, and it's, it was, it was either next to the, t- to, it was close to the Priory. So he was kind of a local bigwig and he came to her Christmas bash. So things are looking up. Florence would later say that this was the happiest time of her life, other than the beginning of her first marriage. She loved the first parts of marriage. Yeah. That, she was good at that. Charles even wrote it's called her, the honeymoon phase it, it for is, a reason. It is. This honeymoon phase didn't last very long. Even did her first one for that matter. Charles wrote her very nice letters while he went away on business. So things seemed to be going well until they weren't. Yeah. So soon Charles began to receive these nasty anonymous letters that accused him of marrying Florence solely for her money. Yeah. completely true without any question whatsoever, but they enraged him. He, they, I think he was even more angry because he was sure in his own mind that they're from Dr. Gawley, Yeah, that he was writing these letters. It, it's absolutely very, very possible that he, it was from Dr. Gawley. Yeah. That, that would make perfect sense. We'll never know. I guess he, you know, he destroyed him when we, we don't know who was writing them to this day, Okay, but in the early marriage, it created kind of some friction there. Yeah. Florence said, no way he'd never do something like that. And so Charles accused Florence of like taking his side. Are you still seeing him? Yeah. You're still seeing this guy. I forbid you. You can't ever see him again like you promised. So he was kind of, sh- again, showing his true colors very quickly yeah. in, in the early on in the marriage. But worse, though, was still the money situation. So he had gotten the um, rights to the, the priory. He sort of owned the priory at this point, but he's married to her and she has all the money. She controls the purse strings entirely. Yeah. And so she spent that money how she wanted to. Yeah. She spent the money as she pleased, as was her right. Charles did not like that at all. He thought she was extravagant. She was spending too much money, too freely. And his family had this very controlling, sniping mother. So his family and his, his, her father, his father was kind of like that as well. So his family would absolutely agree with him. And they would, op- they would when they would come over to, to visit, they'd openly tell Florence, oh, you're spending too much money on that. Oh, you should stop spending money on that. And they'd tell her how she should and shouldn't spend her money. And she did not like their endless unsolicited advice whatsoever. Yeah. 
So, and, and Charles always took the side as a family. They're right, they're right. Stop spending so much money. So it caused yeah. almost immediate friction. After enough carping, Charles finally got Florence, though, to fire the personal maid and make the housemaid double as her personal maid. So he's, he's kind of trying to thin out this, the staff. He thought she had too much staff. And that housemaid was 23-year-old Mary Ann Keebler. We'll hear, hear more about her in the second half, in the second part. When Charles insisted on her firing one of the gardeners and also selling off her horses, which she loved, she finally said, nope, I'm not doing either one of those things. Yeah. And so when she refused that, he was outraged again. How dare you? Tell me the man of the house or refuse the demand of me, the man of the house, which, of course, she could legally do very easily and, and, yeah. and did. At time, so he even th- would threaten to leave her. And if, if you know, anytime she would say no to him, he said, I'll leave you. I, I, I get the implication being, and then you will lose the respectability I right. brought you. And so, but still, she kept the gardener, she kept the horses, and generally she continued to spend money as she pleased, which made him increasingly angry. Mm-hmm. And still, though, this is a male-dominated society. Yeah. So when the one thing Charles could control was in the bedroom. He forced her to have sex anytime he wanted to. She was already a little bit worried about getting... I mean, she wanted to have kids, but she had serious gynecological problems, and she was yeah. worried about getting pregnant again, and he was you know, Wait, forcing... So they already have one kid? They don't have any kids together. Oh. No, okay. they're, they're only married for a few months. Okay. No, she like that's why it doesn't. That's why he didn't get her pregnant before the okay. marriage. That's not. That's not true. Okay. That was just some. Some people suppose that now. So, some writers even have intimated, and apparently she may have told her doctor that he forced her to have a certain kind of sex that is popular in certain movies, but is not the most common type of sex. Am I being too coy? Yes or no? Is yes. in the other side of the body. The part, not the V. That's not going to get you pregnant. That's not going to okay. get you pregnant. Is the type of penetrative sex that you cannot get pregnant from. Gotcha. He was forcing her to do that, and she didn't like it. Okay. That's uh, apparently, supposedly, she told her doctor that. Okay. I don't know how true that is or not. And, and, and some people think he was just doing it to humiliate her and control her. Yeah. So. Otherwise known as R-A-P-E. R- oh, yes. Yes, it is. Nice of you to spell that out. <laughs> When Florence found out, though, that she was pregnant because they were having the other kind of sex as well, she was worried. So she went to stay with her parents. She was kind of pensive. Again, she was a little worried that the pregnancy wouldn't be great. She's worried about Charles as, you know, the father of her child. And that, you know, she's even worried long term. He just, you know, all I wanted was a tolerable husband. And he may not even be that at this point. So she probably, though, given the attitude of her parents before, she unlikely yeah. to find much sympathy mm-hmm. with them. But again, at least they were talking to her, and, and she had that Christmas party. So you know, pros and cons. Yeah. Charles, though, is now alone at the priory while she, while Florence is staying with her parents for her confinement. No, just, just staying for a little while. Okay. And he starts to connive a little bit. His new target of his connivance to control her spending was, who do you think it was? Mrs. Cox. Mrs. Cox. So not only did she make a really good salary for a lady's companion, again, money that he thought Florence should not spend, mm-hmm. but Mrs. Cox was very, very close to Florence. Florence constantly turned to Mrs. Cox for advice. And even she kind of sometimes would become an arbiter in their fights, and Mrs. Cox would always take the side of Florence. Of and she was, and so, um, Charles came to resent her and targeted her to get rid of her mm-hmm. to essentially to isolate Florence, his yeah. wife for sure. So Mrs. Cox found out about this and was terrified and nervous. She needed that money. As we, we talked about a while ago, she was blindsided because she also loved Florence. Charles didn't realize he wouldn't have been able to marry her without Mrs. Cox. He didn't care. Yeah. He now saw Mrs. Cox as someone who... If if he get rid of her, she can more he can more easily control his wife. So yeah. he, he's he's this is he's probably a sociopath. Uh, what and again she has these three kids. They're in private school. She has a mortgage. She doesn't make a whole lot of money from her tenants. She really needed this job, mm-hmm. and so she's pretty scared that he's going to get his way. Florence came home after her visit to her family, and very sa- sadly she miscarried oh. pretty quickly after coming home. She said, she told Charles, you know what, I'm going, Mrs. Cox and I are going to go take a trip to the South England, a seaside town called Worthing, and I'm going to stay there for a little while and to recover. 
When she told him this, he slapped her. Uh-oh. Before, it was over. Now, she's much more stuck in this marriage than she had been to yeah. Ricardo. So she, did, she didn't have the same, ironically, didn't have the same kind of freedom she had before. Worse still, though, he was expecting continued sex. He tried, he was only three weeks after this miscarriage, he was demanding sex again to, to get her pregnant. Oh and she, by this time, she's now terrified. She thinks another pregnant could really cause her yeah. permanent harm. Or death. Or even death, yeah. So two weeks after the, um, they resumed sex, which is only three weeks after her first marriage care, she got pregnant again. So like oh I said, God. she was very fertile. She could get pregnant. She apparently couldn't keep babies to term, though, yeah. because just a short time later, about a month after she got pregnant, after she, at least she found out she was pregnant, she's out working in the garden, and she had another miscarriage, a second yeah. miscarriage. Coincidentally, or very possibly not coincidentally, around this time, Charles fell violently ill on his train ride into central London into his office. Mm. Curious, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He was able to get to his office eventually. And by the end of the day, he felt better and came back home. But it was this real mystery. Like, I don't remember eating anything. I mean, he like threw up and was sick on, on the train. So you kind of have to wonder if maybe Florence had packed him a little snack that morning. I don't know. You'll, you'll know with part two why I'm asking that question. Because not long after this, Charles Bravo would fall terribly ill again. And this time, he would never recover. Mm. That is our end of part one. Okay, when we come back to you for part two, we're going to talk about Charles' second final illness and what happened after. On the next Weird World, <laughs> Charles Bravo edition. I'm assuming you've introduced us to all of the suspects? Yes, I believe I have. Well, yeah, more or less, kind of. Not exactly. We'll okay. see. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, we'll see you next time. Stay tuned for the next installment <laughs> of the Charles Bravo saga. See you.